Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour, Cofield and Company live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Caleb Herring is with us, one of the broadcasters, one of the voices of UNLV football and radio, former Rebel quarterback. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good, Steve. How are you guys doing? We're good. Adam, are you okay? Sure. Hanging in. As we talked about, I never believe Adam when he says that. No, no, Steve knows. We started the show. I got B11. I checked in for a flight tomorrow. I'm very excited. Right at three o'clock. It was very very nerve wracking. (laughs) It's the little things, huh? Of course. It's not a little thing. It's like anything. Uh, I will cancel a flight if I'm in C. Um, I saw saw a a story put out by uh, Mountain West Conference Wire. They do a good job of covering the Mountain West Conference. Pretty hardcore basketball and football. But on UNLV football, and they were saying uh, UNLV football has had a lot more uh, individual successes so far in Marcus Arroyo than you think. Which Rebels could be the next to break out in 2022? Did you take a look at the story? And uh, what do you think of the choices, which included Preston Nichols, a new offensive lineman, a couple of defensive backs? Uh, your thoughts? You know, I did. I did look at it. I, I saw, you know, Cameron Oliver was one of those defensive backs mentioned. He had a, a pretty good season, um, not a starter in the rotation, but uh, made his presence felt with a couple of interceptions throughout the season. Um, and really looked comfortable out there as kind of that nickel back in, in the defensive scheme, especially as the, the weeks went on. So it's no surprise that you can project him to have sort of, I guess, a breakout season um, as his role continues to, you know, be more demanding of him and he sees more time on the field. Um, I, I could see a guy like Cam Oliver making a big impact. Also, some some new guys to the roster with Weimer at receiver. Um, just thinking if if he can be any sort of you know the leader in that room. I, I I know it's strange to say having not really seen him in game yet, but just based on you know the level of experience coming over as as a junior college guy, um, just watching the way he kind of handles himself, sort of the adult in the room type of feel um, from what he could bring to the roster, from what he could do as far as an experience and veteran sort of presence on the receiver group, um, which has been a group that has talent, but is definitely young and youthful and growing kind of before our eyes these last couple of seasons um, and not the deepest group, but adding a guy like him being a, a consistent, steady hand in that receiver group. I can see him having um, what, you know, quote unquote, breakout season. Um, so I, I have no problem with with the projections from the from the wire there, just um, based on what UNLV has done uh, to accumulate talent over the last few years. It just hasn't necessarily come together in the form of wins and losses. So, but there's some individual standouts that I think I'll be having my eye on for sure um, to watch. And that that article did a good job, I think, of pointing out some of those names from last season and and new names coming in. Do you have a personal choice? Because I listed Jeray Williams, Ricky White, another wide receiver. Um, if you want to consider Brennan Scott, I think he's going to be a stud, and Courtney Reese is going to have every opportunity to be. Um, I'm not, I don't know if he's going to be the full-time running back, but the most explosive running back. Yeah, I think he does. I think he has probably the, the biggest chance and with the level of explosion he brings. Courtney Reese I'm talking about here. Um, he, he's an explosive player that the running back room is going to be different than it's been, right? Charles Williams obviously gone, and how, how are you going to replace his production? It's probably going to be by committee. With Magyar, we saw the spring depth chart listed. Magyar listed at the top of that list, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that Courtney Reese is going to get his fair share of touches this year. And how impactful he can be is is yet to be determined. Um, but somebody that I was looking at to have a breakout year was somebody who saw glimpses of, and it's really more this season based on necessity and, and who he's replacing and the role he's going to be asked to fill with Winman exiting in the transfer portal to Michigan State. 
I'm looking at Kyle Beaudry to have a big season and what would be considered a breakout year. He had a couple of big games last year um, in the Rebels wins with 10 tackles in each of those two games against Hawaii and New Mexico. So just off necessity alone, I, I would anticipate and I, I, I think I could say this. I would want him to have a breakout season at that linebacker position. Um, if he will do it, if he'll be able to step into that challenge, he's had big shoes to fill with Jacoby women exiting, like I said. But he's shown that he could do it in glimpses in the time that he was on the field. He's around the ball a lot, a sure tackler in the interior. Um, I would like to see that linebacker position. He and Austin Ajike kind of solidify the defensive interior. Um, and can Kyle Beaudry have a breakout season? I think that's somebody I'm going to have my eyes on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, of course, I'm going to be monitoring the quarterback situation. But on the quarterback of the defense, Kyle Boger, I think he's going to be a, a crucial piece to have a breakout season. This one maybe a little bit of a weird question on this, but like, how important is it for the individuals to to have breakout season, quote unquote? Because we've seen this, like we've seen players have really really good seasons, and it hasn't really equated to you know that team kind of success. So like at, at this level, do you want guys to stand out and and be that? Like, hey, look, this guy's playing really well. Or do you just want everybody's level to raise? I think you would rather have the everybody elevate their game. But I think sometimes it takes an individual to spark that culture that's necessary to elevate the game to greatness, right? I mean, I, an individual, especially in football, can't win games by themselves. I, you, I don't know of anybody who's gone out there and won a football game in the history of the sport just based on individually being great or, you know, being that good. Um, so definitely it's preferred for everybody, but sometimes within the culture of, of, of a team, and this is why sometimes you can't necessarily look just at wins and losses with football, you can have individual talent that is trending your team in the right direction and, and raising the standard of, of play in the locker room or during practice and, and even on the recruiting trail, if, if you want to go that deep. The elevating of the standard at that program is sometimes predicated by who the best player is. If the best player isn't very good, then the standard for the rest of the locker room isn't going to be very high either. So I think it's it's important to have those individual standout players so that the rest of the team, all the other 10 guys on the field can look up and say, I'm not living up to his standard. That's the program standard. We all need to be better to be like that. Um, so in a way, it's, it's important to measure it at least that the individuals are separating themselves or creating a new standard, moving the needle ahead a little bit in your program. Um, but definitely you want eventually the plan, and this is when the wins start to come, is when everybody else elevates their game up. So then it's not such a standout. It's not one guy leading the way with 20 tackles in a game. It's a team effort where everybody's fighting to get that tackle on the stat sheet. And the net result is somebody tackles them, right? This is one of the 11 gets them, and and and, and that's how wins and losses are determined. Well, along along those lines, like it, it wasn't – I mean, you're not – you're not a young pup anymore, Caleb, but it's not that long ago that you were in college. Like, do you, <laughs> yeah. when kids are, are being recruited, obviously they want to see some success at where they're, where they're going, but do you think they care about, hey, look, you know what? Maybe this team wasn't very good, but you know, they had a couple linebackers that really stepped up and I play linebacker. Maybe I can go play there. Or do they just care about the team success and bowl games and that sort of thing? Um, are they looking at, Hey, this is a place where, Hey, even if they're not very good, they were able to have a, somebody at my position really shot. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think when you look at the way that I, for the NFL, let's say the guys that are making it now from smaller and smaller schools, it seems like it's a more frequent occurrence that guys are making it to the NFL. There's a path where you don't have to go to a power five school to a top 10 school in the country where you can get noticed 
at a smaller school. So winning for individual and selfish purposes isn't necessary. Going to that major program isn't as necessary as it used to be, right? When only the top 10 schools were even getting games on TV at one point, right? So that now there's there's more avenues to promote yourself if given the opportunity to shine on the field. Um, whether or not you turn that into, let's say, a transfer up to another a higher school or turn that into a successful career at a, a, a smaller school in a, in a group of five um, uh, program, it, it translates to more exposure for you. So you don't necessarily need the big names. So I think absolutely. If there's a, a school that's known for churning out, let's say, quarterbacks or good running backs or or defensive ends or whatever the case may be, if there's a school that's known for that. Um, or maybe has a position coach that has some connections and relationships with people at the next level that can benefit the individual's career. I think that's absolutely um, trending in the direction of more popular than just the name of the school as far as recruiting goes. So um, if you, for UNLV's purpose, you look at a guy like Jacoby Women who had a stellar season last year, ended up moving on to Michigan State. But that does definitely say something to any prospect at linebacker that, hey, they know what they're doing at linebacker, at least. And and you can even take that a step further. Hey, the defense figured something out where guys are shining and getting noticed. Um, so maybe maybe it's worth going over there and, and being a part of that energy and getting some of that tutelage. It's especially beneficial to a program if that good player who's developed that linebacker ends up staying in the program. And now I'm going to go learn from that good linebacker. That would be the ideal situation. But no, for sure, there, there's there's definitely something to it when you, when you are a recruit and look and see they're churning out quarterbacks. I, I'm a quarterback. I'd like to be a part of the quarterback machine that's going on over there. Yeah, I think, too. Uh... Sorry about that. To answer uh, Adam's question about positions, I think it's working at quarterback. I think the fact that quarterbacks Caleb saw Cameron Friel get playing time is convincing others that early on they could – get into the mix they just got a 2023 commit from california obviously a local jade mayava uh committed this last year so i think it's absolutely working a quarterback and all you know and I, the other obvious thing is uh you know you got a guy in marcus arroyo who is you know a guy who's tied to some good quarterbacks absolutely and i there's there's no doubt that that's having an impact the cameron Friel situation that's that's turning a a, a negative because Friel got the playing time um because of mostly because of injury um, but he was in there and he got, he got reps as a young guy, as a freshman. And, and people saw that and they, Hey, it's an open competition over there. If I, if you got a, got the stuff, they'll put you out there. And like you said, they got a coach who, who knows what he's talking about when it comes to that quarterback room, especially, um, and without hesitation, you know, the, 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 the most, one of the top five, I guess, most talked about quarterbacks in the NFL right now was one of his, 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 uh, his I guess his, his, his players. So that's obviously people are going to be thinking about that when they're deciding to commit to UNLV. And you see that with over and over again, it seems like for the past three seasons, we've had quarterback competitions that have deep quarterback rooms where we're sitting there saying like all of these guys, at least on paper or based on what they've done in the past at other places, has the potential to be a starter. Um, it hasn't really panned out as far as the production. And a lot of that has to do with the injury and inconsistency at the position because of injury and health. Um, but you, you've said with confidence during these off seasons that the quarterback room is one of the deeper rooms on the roster. Um, and that's going to be the case again in 2023, where any one of those guys has the opportunity to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. And I think the team's better for that competition. Um, again, I, I've said this in past years, you don't want the quarterback room to be in competition when the season starts. And I don't think that's ideal. 
But as long as they're in competition and constantly making each other better during the offseason, by the time a starter is determined, you'll, your team will be better for that competition. So, um, like you said, the quarterback room has benefited greatly from from that kind of mindset um, from Coach Arroyo. Yeah, they got a commit from uh, Ty Diffenbach, who's from Agora, uh, 13th-ranked quarterback in California alone, number 63 in the country. And if everyone stayed around next year, your QB room would be Brumfield, Friel, Harrison Bailey, Mayava, uh, Diffenbach, and then uh, Matt Geating, who um, – it was one of the backups last year, a kid out of Chino Hills. So the uh, this is the way it's supposed to be. The quarterback room is you know, is not you're not supposed to. We had you know a couple of years ago, basically the whole season um, hinged and kind of went down the uh, the drain when Armani Rogers got hurt early early on. You got it. You got to have three, four guys, and you got to have a good quarterback, a highly ranked quarterback at every layer and and, and every single class. So uh, back to the breakout star thing. If I were to go super hardcore. Just to illustrate a point, I had a couple of deep sleepers. One is uh, one of the offensive guards, Alani Makaheli, who's out of Alaska. And the reason I throw him out there, they have to replace, uh, you know, very experienced left guard in Julio Garcia. And this is crazy, but Preston Nichols comes in, Caleb, from Charleston, just like Davion McDaniel. I'm not banging on Nichols. I'm just mentioning, right? He is one of the smaller offensive linemen I've seen in Mm -hmm. recent times, but he's also one of the strongest guys in the weight room. And he was a top five guy on the FCS level, according to PFF by the ratings. So what you're going to have here is competition at the left guard with Nichols, who is six foot about one, uh, not one eighty, six foot two eighty, And then McAhaley, and I know you've seen him around is probably the, he he has the biggest legs I think I've ever seen. He is six, three, 360 pounds. Yeah, it, it's all there. Like you see it. It's not. It's not hitting anywhere. It's like, yeah, that's three sixty, and yes. it's coming at you, right? So it's. I mean, um, and and that. I mean, that does something to to the opponents. And I'm not gonna say, um, it's the only thing. Like having size is the only thing that matters. Like you said, the strength in the weight room has to count for something. Um, but it, it's an intimidation factor when you got big guys on that front line. Linebackers aren't as as eager to blitz against 360 you know like it, so it, it you you get what the size can do um and then just as as you know being impossible to move it's, it's harder to move 360 pounds than it is to move 280 it, it regardless of how much you bench press um so yeah, I, i'd say as a deep sleeper in we've seen the shuffling deck at offensive line and the different lineups that have gone out throughout the course of a season even if he's not the starter and you know if Nichols does get the start and he ends up staying number one on the depth chart as he was at the end of the spring if he stays at that to start, you never know what could happen, especially on that front five during the season where somebody's going to be asked to step up. Um, and I wouldn't mind a 360-pound guy stepping up to fill that left guard spot. So, like you said, that that could be definitely a sleeper for the season, how important he would be at the left guard to, to maintain depth at that position as well. Yeah, and the, the right side, uh, Amani Trigg Wright did a good job stepping in in the middle of the season. And, you know, Tiger Shanks actually had a really good bounce back in the middle of the season as well. So there's going to be a lot of competition across the line and uh, we know from a pass pro standpoint it's all got to get better because this is a team that clearly unless they're uh, recruiting one way and planning on playing a different way they're clearly going to throw the ball with all this quarterback talent and a a much (laughs) deeper wide receiver room now so pass pro better be up to snuff yeah pass pro has to be important I think that's why you see a guy like Chad Magyar who's at the top of the running back depth chart too because they're probably going to be asked to help out and throw their helmets in there in the pass pro a lot as well. And 
uh, speaking of, of the receiver room being deeper, there's a guy who I'm going to throw out there again for the for the breakout season, yeah. a sleeper, not high on the depth chart, but Zyle Griffin. Who I just like his build and the way he plays the game. He he may be one of those guys because of the rotation at receiver and because of I guess the adjustment in the offensive mindset of the team. Um, getting more opportunities to catch passes. I think he's a guy that can be a game changer for UNLV. Not, maybe not the volume, not a number one option, but again, another guy who has the potential for big plays and for for making those momentum-changing uh, plays during the course of a game that everybody seems to to be drawn to and get fired up by. So um, like you said, because of that change and the way they've recruited and the way the roster is kind of shaping up here um, during the offseason and, and where they focused a lot of their attention, that receiver group, I think, is going to have the most potential to be to be uh, breakout players in the 2022-23 season. Caleb Herring's with us. Uh, to go back to where we started, that uh, Mountain West Conference wire you know, story about breakout stars, I actually give the Mountain West Conference uh, that, that site, not the uh, conference itself, but that site, a lot of credit because they clearly talked to some people about potential breakout stars. Uh, but here's – because they nailed uh, Preston Nichols. But here's the hard part about coming up with breakout stars um, – UNLV added another 15 or 16 players and like from every nook and cranny of college football, like more power five guys down to guys who are at their four stop, you know, coming from a Juco, uh, that list, there's going to be two or three guys there who somehow will crack into the two deep and get playing time. I just don't know who it is because the stories are so crazy. So many weird journeys to arrive at UNLV. And I, I've said it a couple of times. It was clear, Caleb, that, Keith Hayward, the new DC, looked at his roster uh, before and during the spring and was like, okay, we got the third recruiting period. We need to up competition at certain positions. And the mm -hmm. competition at defensive back is going to be insane. Uh, they've added uh, five or six guys since the second signing period. So I think there's going to be someone in that group. Someone will emerge. And they also, they, it's clear they also wanted to beef up and have more options at the, uh, the, you know, the rush linebacker positions in that three, four. So, there's going to I'm I'm so fired up for late July, early August and then the beginning of the season to see a couple of these guys that we don't really know emerge yeah. and, and all of a sudden become contributors. I'm like, this is a tremendous story. And you know what it does? It makes this time, which is pretty much a dead period as far as on the field activities for us. And, and it's just the weight room and, and coach for doing his thing with the with the strength and conditioning program over the summer. But it makes this time so much more important. This is where your team gets better because there's competition right now. The guys are on the roster, you know, the Cam Olivers, the Noel Williams, the guys who are returning, who have been a part of the roster, they see that too. And they're like, hey, my job's in jeopardy. I got to set a tone here during the offseason. I got to improve so that come fall, I, can't, I leave no doubt. I don't want it to be a question who's the better guy in the system, right? And then, like I said, that's the competition that makes the roster better. So like you said, I'm excited for this time. Um, coming with fall right around the corner. I did 66 days. What do you say that that game ones, something like that, that game ones around the corner. Um, and so whether or not we feel it, it's crunch time. And it's good to have a crunch time in the summer with those competitions pending. And a lot of spots, you know, Cam Oliver's projected to have a breakout year by the by the wire. But who knows if he even gets the time based on the competition that's coming in. And that that's an exciting thing to learn about come fall camp. And, and we'll see how things shape up. Caleb, good job, man. Appreciate it. Good deep dive. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Appreciate the time. Take care. There he is. Caleb Herring, former UNLV football player, as UNLV opens against Idaho State at the Al on August 27th. So we're inside of 70 days until the uh, week zero of college football. Let's do a giveaway right now. 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller 11, Morrissey's in town. Beginning of July, Coliseum, Caesars Palace. 
residency there from July 1st to the 9th. You can grab your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. But Damon's got a pair of tickets right now, 364-1100 for Viva, Las Vegas. Morrissey is in town, the 80s legend uh, with the Smiths and great solo career. Caller 7 right now, 364-1100. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, football frenzy time. Uh, later in the hour, we're going to talk some NBA. A little bit of draft with uh, Kevin Arnovitz from uh, ESPN.com. And Coach Joe is in, specifically on the draft. Joe Esposito now with a new job at uh, UMKC, Kansas City. They want to go with Kansas City. The Ruse. The Kangaroos. Ooh, I just got a follow. Actually, no, it was a Cofield and Company account from Marvin Menzies. Nice. Yeah, so Marvin and... Uh, Joe or at Kansas City, so we'll talk uh, some hoops later on. And Joe's got a lot of knowledge, um, especially about the Hardys, right? Amari, and I'm sure they, you know, the grand plan. Amari, Amari at the time was a really good recruit for Marvin Menzies and was a good player. God, I want to get Amari on. I want to get Amari on next week after the draft to see where his brother Jaden goes. Jaden, of course, a high school star here. Um, we haven't had a chance to talk to Amari. I still feel like. There was some unfinished business from the aughts era where remember how thin in terms of scoring the second aughts team got. And if you recall, Hardy left. I I don't know that Hardy wanted to leave. I always felt like he sort of got nudged out of the program, then went to Oregon, got playing time early, and then didn't get a lot of playing time. He should have been here. If he wanted to be here at UNLV, he should have been here. The whole time. So all that's coming up. That's coming up in the Plus, I think I have to, ap- I have to apologize to Coach Joe, I think, also. Um, do, is that just a tease, or do we need to know now? I mean, either way. It doesn't okay. matter. Okay, let's save it, and we'll just write down <laughs> that you're going to apologize to to him. I mean, it's, it's silly, but it's fine. Okay. Well, I will say this behind the scenes, uh, and I'll put it on the air. I paid off a bet that we made, but I did it via email and now i'm a little worried that he didn't receive uh, receive the payoff i don't mm. like sending stuff that I, way it's always uncomfortable when you like if you venmo or you know third gift party card. gift card yeah it's always third party gift if... card and like does it go is it in the junk mail right now oh, yeah. is he playing it coy by not mentioning he got it i'm like oh boy so we got a lot to hash out maybe we could do this off the air no, I don't think, I think okay, we'll do no, it. No, this is perfect stuff for on the air. <laughs> you know, it, it's on, on a side note, I listened to a very famous person interview another famous person yesterday. Uh, it, a very famous comedian is a God, fan are, of a radio you are, show. You're very cryptic today about people well, I never who know have what houses saying. near freaking F1. Uh, no. and That's fine. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Interviewed a famous person. So, uh, What's going on? Burt Kreischer, very famous comedian at this who? point. Yeah, exactly. He interviewed. Um, one of the guys like that I've talked about that I thought was the greatest radio show ever from Opie and Anthony he interviewed Anthony and he like so fanboyed over everything. And one of the which, things he, wait, which, which way he was like, he, cause he, no, he fan, said, the fanboy? Oh, Burt Kreischer was, he listened every day oh, to Opie and, okay. and was like, was he's like, do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did this? Uh, really? like, Whoa, settle down, bro. <laughs> but one of the things he said was one of the things I loved about that show. And we've talked about 
you know philosophy of radio stuff a lot before but like he said you'll just bring like you have a, a debate with your boss you bring it on the air you have you're you screaming an intern you bring it on the air there's something going on in the side room it's not even on mic but you're hearing it like i love that stuff on the like yeah. and i was like yeah i love like i just love I bringing tell everything you, on the from, air from uh, local experience uh, admin side doesn't always like when you bring stuff on the air and make it all one big family but listeners do is my I point and, and i, I, I think that's, that's the st- point that's of why it. we still do it so I'll, I'll stop being cryptic with coach joe also me and my friends were in Kansas City. We, oh. were, we were like 30 shots in, and Coach Joe had just arrived after like a 50-hour drive. Leave it at that. Leave and it I was like, it get that. out here to the bar, bro. Leave it and at he's that. like, all right, I'm tired. <laughs> it was great. Oh, you, yeah. I got to hear the rest of the story. That That's great. awesome. I yeah. was a little worried about that. I'm like, I don't know if Coach Joe is uh, Adam Hill vacation guy. No. No, I don't think he was ready, okay. especially after like a 50-hour drive to get there. Wait a second. So football frenzy – is Devontae Adams' jersey, his Raiders jersey, is killing it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it came out uh, last week, the European jersey sales for the offseason so far. Uh, he was the highest rated player who wasn't a quarterback. And not on a team that's playing there this season. In sure. Europe. Sure. Because there was a little speculation that, hey, the Raiders have uh, some popularity there. Maybe they should be playing there. Yeah. But it was like quarterback 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 like Russell Wilson's number one obviously yeah, yeah. a quarterback that changed teams um but it's quarterback 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 Devontae Adams and that was for the for the jersey sales in the UK now jersey sales in the US is number four and the highest again non-quarterback so anytime a superstar player change, changes teams you're going to be very highly rated on this list but very cool that Devontae Adams the highest non-quarterback in both the UK and the US in terms of jersey sales. why do you think that's happening in the US just Raiders fans are just spending money yeah. well, like crazy. I mean, there's always a player that you're, you know, it's going to be the most popular jersey. And I think in this case, Devonta Adams clearly would be the most popular. Max Crosby is going to sell a lot of jerseys too and, and guys like that. And usually quarterbacks are going to sell a lot. But Derek Carr has been on the team for almost a decade. People have their Derek Carr jerseys. Like you're going to be very excited to buy a Devonta Adams oh, jersey, a jersey. Okay. when you get a superstar player like that coming into a team, like people are going to buy the jersey. How much of the U.S. volume is from Packers fans who are going to miss him, or do you think they're mad? No, I don't think Do you think, think they're, they're mad buying, at Devontae Adams? I don't think they're buying Devontae Adams' no? Raiders jerseys. Do they have a reason to be mad? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, look, and what he said last week, and I think it's it's perfectly fair – of, you know, I I didn't know how long he was going to be there. I don't know how long Rogers is going to be there. I'm going to come play in Vegas because I know that, you know, for a couple of years they're going to be kind of set and I'm going to be able to play with a quarterback that I'm comfortable with and familiar with. But, like, the plan for Aaron Rodgers was to have a window of, like, two more years, try to win the title. And I think fans up there wanted to. And with Devontae Adams gone, that window kind of closes a little bit. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone. Oh, honey, though our friendship ceased it from now on. Right, we got a couple of good ones today. And listen, if you can't say anything real nice. Fat Pack on a Wednesday. We're going to talk about performance enhancing? Yes. <laughs> First, though, right up your alley. Can you keep this to two minutes and not no. 45? No. And continuing on your cereal of soup? No, we better skip it. Colin Morikawa. We're very familiar with him here. Sure. Right? You're saying that he set off some real drama in the golf world. So did he announce today he's going with the Saudis? No, no, he didn't. Okay, what else could be real drama? Well, he revealed himself as a psychopath, I think. Okay. He just offhandedly 
was he was doing a um, a talk uh, about you know Morikawa maybe going to the live and you know would he or not and he was kind of speaking about it and he said nothing's changed we're not going to and he just dropped in now if you'll excuse me I've got some cereal to pour into my milk and that did it. What is that? Other golfers lost their minds. The internet lost its mind. I lost my mind. Are you sure the internet lost its mind or yes. you just did? No, several golfers. Uh, Justin Thomas said he was concerned. <laughs> there really? was, yeah. Uh, Max Homa had questions about it. Um, and then Morikawa actually had to respond. Uh, he actually had to say, like, is there science to why I shouldn't be doing it this way? No, there's no social norms, Colin. You pour the cereal first. But so you wanted to break all the norms by saying that cereal is soup. Cereal is soup. And now because a guy puts the liquid in first and then dumps the cereal on top, that's a problem? That's insane. I don't get that. How do you know how much? you? Okay, there's a clear formula how you do it. You have the cereal in. You pour milk until the cereal moves. Like the level, there's a level change. I don't do that. What? I'm not a heavy uh, milk person in the cereal. I First go, of all, I go. I would say I go 80, 85% cereal and 15 or 20% milk. First of all, I actually I don't, like a lot of dry cereal. Okay, I just well, want a little smattering of milk. I don't think I've had a bowl of cereal in like six years. Really? But I also don't like milk. Yeah. Except in cereal. And you, there's a ratio that you, I mean, this is how we operate as a society. Otherwise, what happens? It, everything falls apart, as you've seen. Come work out starts doing this, the whole world falls apart. I don't think the whole world knows about it yet, but if we get some video I think of they it, do. I mean, the whole world didn't fall apart when Jim Harbaugh was eating cereal and using Gatorade instead of milk. That we tried disgusting. it. We tried it. It was bad. This is not I mean, how we did you try it. It was awful. This is not how you eat a bowl of cereal. You put the cereal in first, and then you put the milk in. If not, what are we even doing here? I can't. I can't do the performance enhancing story right now. There's there's okay. too much goodness to it. It's gonna have to go in the uh, the grab bag. I'll just, I'll tell you right now as a tease ahead. Um, one of my favorite pitchers of all time is Kyle Farnsworth, uh, and the reason I loved him is what do I love in baseball? Uh, angry pitchers. Yeah. Pitchers that throw at people. Fights. Sure. Angst. Um, and I love when hitters overreact to inside pitches. And will stare down a pitcher, like not thinking what the ramifications of that are. And a couple of guys did that over the course of Kyle Farnsworth's career. He was, you know, this guy threw like 99 miles an hour, 6'4", you know, 220 guy. But he was, he was a psycho. He revealed himself as a psycho, not Colin Morikawa. He was a psycho. And we'll tell you what he looks like now. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I, whatever's swimming through his veins, that this is not good for his like mood control. He already likes to fight. This is not – it's not good. You think it's worse? Justin Thomas said cereal cereal going in after the milk is more concerning than who's going to leave for the live tour. Oh, really? Yeah. We're making light now of the, the Saudis. We're making jokes. Justin Thomas said it's the most important thing. Be careful. Uh, we got a big event coming up here in Las Vegas next month. Back again, the NBA Summer League, 2K23. NBA Summer League. Tickets are on sale right now. UNLVTickets.com. It's July 7th to the 17th. 11 days, 75 games. All 30 teams are here. Tickets start at 40 bucks. Games are going on in both of the venues, down at the Thomas and & Mack and Cox Pavilion. The top picks will all be here, so whoever you see drafted, unless there's an injury, whoever you see drafted on Thursday night, they're all going to be playing in Las Vegas for the first time as pros. 
with their NBA squads. That's awesome. 11 days of basketball right here in Las Vegas. You can see the stars of tomorrow and the other guys fighting for roster spots. And it's an, it's a, really an American basketball convention right here in town. You can get your tickets right now at unlvtickets.com for the NBA Summer League coming up July 7th to the 17th. Now, back to Cofield and Company. That first time you do it, you want that feeling back. And the reality is, is you never get it again. And the only way to truly get it is to feel it through an Andrew Wiggins. It's to feel it through a Jordan Poole. It's to, you know, to feel it through an Otto Porter and Belly and Moses and JK and GP. You know, you, you feel it through those guys. See, Draymond can be normal. Like, that was a normal part of the speech. Of course, the beginning of that part of his uh, victory parade speech was, I'm still going to talk ass on Twitter. Like, dial it down, bro. <laughs> dial it down, you know? Be a human being. Talk about your teammates. It's cool. I know it's what makes him entertaining, but at times it can be freaking insufferable. So let's get into the Warriors. Let's get into looking at next year. Free agency's coming up. We got the Kyrie Irving stuff that could be really interesting. We got Laker interest. This is a huge Lakers town. What the hell are the Lakers going to do to actually make themselves relevant again? Kevin Arnovitz covers the NBA for ESPN.com and ESPN the Magazine. He's up with Cofield and Company in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So I'm going to start with looking ahead to next year before we even know what's going to happen with rosters. Um, and I'm going to throw in the Vegas angle here. The Warriors are the favorite. They're like plus 450 to win the title next year. Uh, we talked to another ESPN dude the other day, Mark Spears, who was saying, hey, you know what? The Warriors could be better next year. Do you buy that with the roster, with the young guys? Could they be better next year? I do. I mean, I think it's just a question of weighing, you know, who who, who gets worse. I mean, who, who ages and whose skills diminish. Uh, you could argue that, you know, their core three are older, but you also have the three, you know, the three young guys, Weissman and, and the two picks from last year, Moody and, and uh, obviously, um, and now my name, the name escapes me, so I'm embarrassed. Um, I think the question is, the Warriors front office does a really good job of balancing interests. And I think the big question is, at what point do you aggregate your young guys and trade for a veteran? If Steph Curry and Draymond Green let it be known, hey, we, we, we are in our late prime, but we know we have another go. The truth of the matter is we need help now. You know, would you? at all consider trading some of those young guys. I don't think the front office would like to, but Kuminga and Moody and Weissman, you know, as a collective does represent a way that something the Lakers don't have young guys that will allow your veteran core to improve. And I think that's always going to be the question. Um, they will have some other good signings. They clearly are good at taking undervalued guys like Peyton, turning them into productive players. But at a certain point, this youth movement, and they do have you know, a great collection, at what point do you cash in and say, we'll go get help now for a team uh, in exchange for you know, these young guys who could help a younger team that needs to get off money for a veteran that's not helping them contend? If they were going to trade one of the young guys, what kind of help would you get? Would it be just an effort to get bigger? And obviously the person has to play defense, but would it be to get bigger? I mean, yeah, I think one of the things that was exposed a little bit in the finals was, you know, Poole and Curry together on a floor compromises them more defensively than, than really any lineup in, in recent memories. I mean, the, the gift of the Warriors has always been we have these like-size guys, like in their prime, 
We we can switch everything on the perimeter. Clay is six seven. Andre Godala, when he was you know close to his prime, was six. Draymond can play big or small. He, he can guard any position on the floor. Yes, we can protect and hide staff when we need to. He's a good team defender, but let's face it, I mean, he, he is a guy that teams will pick on. I think with Poole, who's such a dynamic scorer and clearly a part of their future, I mean, one of the reasons we can sit here and talk about, hey, well, the Warriors get better, is, well, you know, maybe plays lost to Steph or Draymond or Steph even, but, wow, Poole's just coming into his own. But I think that, to your point, is they are small when that happens. I mean, that was the one thing there were times in the Celtics series where that size differential really was noticeable. And look, they're skilled enough that they can generally compensate. The question is, is when, what, when, when, what happens when they're no longer good enough to compensate? I mean, what happens you know, when you need a guy who's 6'7", 6'8", on the perimeter, um, and, and, and you don't have it? And I think that's sort of what you would do. Um, they might want a conventional center, though I think nobody in this world loves anybody more than Steve Kerr loves Kevon Looney. Um, so, you know, I think you're, you're set there for a while. But, yeah, they need a little more depth. It showed a little bit in the playoff. They're probably not going to get Porter back because of just you know, the, the, the arrangement with the CBA, and, and they just can't offer him as much as other teams. Um, so you're going to have to get deeper, and you're probably going to need another guy like Porter or Iguodala in his prime, who is the 6'8 guy who can guard everybody. So who, if we do assume the Lake, the Warriors could get better, um, you know, obviously with Clay Thompson maybe being healthier, with Wiseman being a part of the rotation, um, a year older for some of the younger guys. If we assume they're going to get better, who makes the move to try to compete with them? Who makes the big splash this offseason? I mean, I think Phoenix is obviously not done. And, and they talk about another team. It's interesting. They're such different teams, but they have similar problems, too, which is they look really small against Dallas. You know, we forget Mikel Bridges is 6'5". You know, he's not a 6'8 wing. He's a 6'5 wing. You know, Crowder is serviceable, and he's a good vet, and, you know, is a good lockdown defender when you have a, a large wing you need to, to guard. But they their depth was exposed. Cameron Payne had, it turned out, a, a, a sort of outlier year when they went to the finals, and he wasn't very good this season. You know, they have Shamit, you know, a couple of the guys. They don't really have a lot of depth. They're going with Javel McGee. Well, hell, you can get a mercenary at center to back you up and give you 18 minutes a night anywhere. I mean, the, the league is crawling with them. So, you know, I, I think Phoenix is sort of taking a long, hard look in the mirror. I, I, I think Aiton is certainly on the table. I think it's a guy they would part with for the right deal. Um, it might be a guy who can get them one for two. And they're a team that is still really good, uh, is aware now of its deficiencies, and, and, and they're going to make a play. I mean, they, they were the, you know, we were talking about them as odds-on favorite, and, you know, the only thing that changed was a really ugly Game 7. It's an important event. If nothing else, it probably persuaded them that we need to change the composition of this roster. Again, not radically, but enough to compete with the Warriors. Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN, is up on uh, ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and company here. So do the Nets, if they want to move on from Kyrie Irving, do they have a decent out on this whole thing? What do they do? Well, I mean, there's not a hell of a lot they can do in terms of roster constraints. You know, just even if he opts out or even if, you know, if they sign in trade, I mean, they don't have a lot of room for upgrade. Now, the argument would be, look, you're getting back Joe Harris, probably one of the best pure shooters in the game, guy, you know, routinely above 40%. And essentially, you're, you're signing Ben Simmons for all practical purposes. That's a free agent signing, right? We saw this team, you know, that, that obviously humiliated itself in, in the first round, but now they're getting one of the best sort of – you point forwards, whatever the hell you want to call Simmons. I mean, you know, the disaster against Atlanta, notwithstanding in the playoffs a couple of years ago, I think we all agree. This was a guy who was on a lot of all NBA ballots is arguably one of the most versatile defenders in the league. 
is still a great kind of unorthodox point guard who happens to not be able to shoot. But the good news is you have a fair amount of that in Brooklyn. It doesn't hurt as much in Brooklyn as it ever did in Philly. So, I, you know, I, I think you say, yeah, Kyrie is, I won't call it addition by subtraction, but you come back healthy. You still have Durant, who's arguably the best player in the game, or one of the three, certainly. Um, don't forget, you kind of raided Philadelphia. Um, you know, you have Steph Curry for another year at a really controlled cost, eight, I think $8.5 million. So I'm looking at that roster, and, you know, I mean, I, I think you could do a lot worse. Um, Bruce Brown has become a really good winning basketball player. He's not going to make a difference, but he's a guy that when you start looking at the depth, that matters. They have a lot of skilled players, and if Simmons can come back and play NBA basketball, and Harris is healthy, and he's a guy with decent size who can shoot the hell out of the ball. You know, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, never mind the fact that he was never available anyway, for the most part. So, you know, I mean, I think looking at an Irving loss as sort of a cultural turn of the organization is kind of the way to look at it. How, I mean, if the Lakers want to do something, can they? Do, like, do they have flexibility to do it? <sighs> I mean, they don't sort of, so they don't have flexibility, right? It would require... Somebody like Kyrie, who's such an iconoclast, who would say, you know what, I don't need the money. I walked away from a Nike endorsement or was, was you know, fine with the terms of that. I can certainly, for a year, play my way back in. But it's going to take something miraculous like that. It's going to take somebody. Because you know, they just don't, again, Russell Westbrook's contract is value negative, right? I, I, I am seeing Taylor Horton Tucker's, you know, name mentioned in trades. You know, he's a $5 million player who's going to be paid $10 million a year for the next two years. He's a value-negative contract. So I never put it past them. Um, but if the plan is you're going to keep, you know, the two big guys, LeBron and AD, you know, it's just there's just not a lot of wiggle room. I know, and you said it's a Lakers town, and I know Laker fans live in a perpetual state of Lakers exceptionalism that somehow they can move mountains the rest of the league can't move. And I get it. It's a great brand. But I, I just don't see how any of the other 29 teams says, sure, we will take on these lousy deals. Sure, we'll take nothing back. They have no draft assets to trade for years. You know, general managers are funny that way. You know, they don't want picks that are going to come to maturity when they've already been fired five, right. six, seven years from now. Right? Like, they're funny that way. And so I, I just don't see a hell of a lot that they can do, barring, again, sort of a, a miracle from the heavens or Kyrie Irving descends and says, sure, the taxpayer mid-level sounds great. Six point two million or whatever it is, I'll take it for a year. Bradley Beal, where is he going to land? God, have we been we've been playing this game for a long time? I mean, my understanding with Beal is it's it's you know he's got a family and 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 he they are very happy in Washington. I think there is a limited number of cities that are on that fly list. You know, Miami might be one of them. Um, but I, I just think it was, it, it was, it's kind of always been a lifestyle decision. Um, extremely happy there. I, I think the organization has treated him well. I mean, you could argue not so far as to actually design a roster that's helping him contend, but I, you know, I, I think they've, you know, they've done their best. And I, and I just think it's really a question for, for Beal. Is at what point in kind of like Lillard in this respect, right? At what point do you just say, you, do you pull the cord? Um, because I don't think there's any great desire for the team to deal him. Now, at some point they might decide that, you know, whatever collection of assets and prospects and picks, it's time to move on from Brad. But I, I just, we've been, I mean, I can't remember the last six-month period in the NBA we haven't had some conversation around Beal being the stealth-eligible bachelor in the NBA in terms of the other teams in pursuit. I don't know. I mean, 
I will take Washington against the field, which has been a really good bet, with the understanding that it makes all the sense in the world at some point for both parties or either party to say, hey, it's been great. Um, but, you know, I also know that, that I don't think Beal just wants to play anywhere. Um, I think it has to be, you know, a place that he and his wife and family are sort of copacetic with, and that's probably a very short list of cities. Kevin Arnovitz uh, with us real quick, last 30 seconds. I want to bet the Clippers for the title – do they, I mean, you know, they're getting Kawhi back, we would assume, at 100%. Do they make any other big splash? Because uh, I basically want to speculate, bet here, that they're going to do something, and then all of a sudden they may be the second choice to win the title. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think they're probably, you know, kind of taking care of the free agent. I, I think they love, for instance, Batum back. But as far as they're concerned, they're getting the greatest free agent signing ever. And as I say, free agents in quotation marks, right? It's, it's Kawhi Leonard, right? He is coming, he's a man who wasn't on the roster last year for all practical purposes. And he is going to play healthy this next year, which means they have the best offseason acquisition in the NBA. Kevin, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. That was Thanks a great spot. Thank you. Great. There he is, Kevin Arnovitz, uh, NBA expert from ESPN.com. Yeah, right now, I mean, the Clippers are the sixth choice, but there's a bunch of teams between four and seven to one. They're plus 750. What a true pro, by the way, and that you – Threw the 30 seconds out there, and then he actually did that. Like most people just, oh, 30 seconds? I'll talk for four minutes. It was a nice, blunt, short answer. It was impressive. Do you think the, the Clippers are going to add anyone else? I, I, I never know what's going to happen. That's why I love the NBA offseason far more than I actually like the season. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the well, I've said it before. We've all said it. The NBA offseason is as good or better than any other offseason. Did the NFL actually surpass it with its offseason? Because it was crazy it was this good. year. It was good. It was fun, for but if sure. We have, if we have Beal moving, Irving, some big trades, the Lakers are actually able to augment with someone real, this could be a monstrous NBA offseason. Big Five is on the way.